Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. All right, as I mentioned, I'm here with Kelly Joy, and I'm excited to get this story out into the world because yours is a little bit more complex and interesting than the usual story, Kelly, wouldn't you say? Really? I don't know. You you probably talk to more ladies about divorce than I do. I definitely do. Um, but what's interesting about yours is that we've got multiple stories to talk about, as do I. Um, but also the part about applying to move countries, and that's yes. not something a lot of people have to go through, thankfully. Okay. And I think we could certainly hear some more about that. But why don't we like like take a big time leap back and tell us about maybe a bit about yourself, where are you from, what you do, which is gorgeous, okay. and then maybe we could talk about your marriages and divorces. Okay. I'll take a big deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> well, my name is Kelly Joy. I am um, I'm from the UK originally. I'm a mother of four. My kids are all big. I had kids very, very young. I... I'll just put it straight on the table. I grew up in a very, very dysfunctional family. You know, there was a lot of abuse. And so I was set up from a very young age to head into dysfunctional relationships. Um, It's a very uncomfortable thing for people to hear. You know, it's I'm getting much better at saying it. I don't particularly divulge and share my story with everybody, you know, all the nitty gritty. But unless I say that, it's people would be very confused because it's a big shit show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great that you're self-aware enough, though, and I know it's taken time. It takes a lot of work to get to that self-awareness and realise been... the conditioning that we've had yes. helps us make these choices that are not actually serving us very well. So you've I've done the work. I've been on a massive journey since I was 25 and I'm 42. So I've been on a massive journey of personal development since the age of 25. And yeah. I already had four children at that age. So I had three, I left home at 14, I moved in with my boyfriend, fell pregnant, and we had three babies in three years or four years, and he became very unwell. I was so young, I didn't really know that he was becoming unwell, I believed what he was saying, and unfortunately, he had schizophrenia. Wow. He was incredible incredibly violent we never got married but we were together for around six nearly seven years and I left him when I was pregnant with my um, youngest daughter I was 19 and yeah so I became a single mum and I, I mean I always was really because he was so dysfunctional so I was holding it together you know I didn't have any family it was me and me and my babies and that must have I, been terrifying to leave at 19 I went into I went into a refuge. I went into a, a refuge. 
So, yeah, um, not as terrifying as being with him. No, I hear you. I also, my first marriage was violent and I, you know, you just, for me, I didn't know quite, I couldn't quite compute that this was happening to me. It don't took, process it at no. that age. You don't, you haven't learned enough. Well, for me, I hadn't learned enough about life. Yeah. And I had always been in survival mode. I mean, when people hear my story, they say, how are you so resilient? I am so resilient because I have been living through this stuff since I was a tiny little girl. So yeah. I've become, you know, very, very resilient. And um, some of the stuff, the quotes that you hear from leaders, speak leaders, you know, about um, it's not your resources, it's your resourcefulness. Yes. Well, I'm one of those humans. I can turn nothing into something. Yes, me too. I'm a survivor. Yeah. Let's teach people some of that. So what yes. happened? You got into the refuge. You had three under five at this point. I had three babies, really, three little yeah. children. Yeah, three and under pregnant with your four. Four. third. Pregnant with my third. Okay. So I three babies. So I was I was I had two little babies and I was pregnant. So okay. I had two, two little toddlers and I was pregnant with my daughter. So I go into the refuge. Eventually, I have to come out of the refuge, uh, you know, very difficult. There was actually some violent women in my refuge. So I, I left after about six months because I actually thought, mm, I'm getting bashed up in a refuge. I think I'll go home. And, you know, I went back to the flat, the apartment where I'd been living. And we don't need to go there, but the violence got pretty horrific. And in the end... I had a lot of police buzzers in my flat and that was it oh, for me. Sorry. I nearly died. He nearly yeah. killed me. So yeah. I survived that. And then I had a good two years, three years, just in absolute dysfunction. You know, I had these little babies. I loved my children. I was a very good mum when it came to being loving and, you know, but there was not really much guidance. I paid my bills. We bought some food. I spent most of my time at the park. We yeah. played. And unfortunately, the next guy, um, I date, I did date another guy on and off, and he will come back into the story later. So I will mention him. I dated a guy on and off. That didn't work. He moved to Australia. Okay. And then I met another chap who was very, very handsome. And this guy proposed to me within three months of us knowing. So I'm 23. I have no family. It's just me and my little babies, me and my little kids. And I meet this really gorgeous guy, three-month whirlwind. He proposes. I said yes. I loved his family. He had this huge family. And now as a 42-year-old woman, I'm like, I said yes to him because I wanted in on that. There yeah. was, you know, I wanted to be part of that loving unit. I didn't know yeah. that. No, I just, but you were attracted to this. Mm. Yeah. this. And yeah. so four and a half years with that man, was hell so unfortunately a lot of your viewers and yourself will know these kind of men they are controlling you're not wearing that you're not going there why did you talk to that person I saw you look at that guy you know you just become it a erodes all of your confidence doesn't it it changes your character altogether yep absolute nervous wreck but you don't you don't know when you're in your 20s for me I wouldn't have known that I was experiencing that I 
fought back. You know, I was verbal too, as much as I can't imagine that about you. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I just, I could, I couldn't stand it because I'd been in that relationship previous for all those years. And I'd been through the childhood stuff by the time I was in this marriage with this guy and he was saying to me, you're like a 12 year old. You can't do this. You don't know how to do that. We had a child together. I did, did not want to have a fourth child, but that was where he went constantly. You know, I want a baby, and I, I, I submitted. I, I submitted, and that has been one of the threads through my story is submission. Right. I watched my mother submit to the abusive man in my childhood, and she's still with him now. Wow. And I learned that. And so as much as I'm a bit feisty and a bit of a feisty, you know, feisty woman, there was the submissive and, and, and that happened, you know, and I got to age 25 and I'd not long had my fourth child and I knew something had to change and I picked up some spiritual books and that was really the beginning for me. It took me three years to break up with him. I think I was 27. It was Christmas time. I find I'd, I'd broken up with him two or three times. He'd left. He came back again. And I, within a few hours, I knew, why is he here? He was eating the kids' school lunches and he was just so selfish, yeah. you know, yeah. so selfish. And I just said, you have to go. And, and he did the huge song and dance. And if I go, I'm never coming back again. And I said, never come back again. And um, he put his hand through the family portrait on the way out. And because it was Christmas, I had no money, you know, and I had to say to my little children who were starting to grow up at that then, you know, look, we have, I have no money. I can't buy lots. And my eldest son would have been maybe 10, I think. And he said to me, mum, I don't care. Just never get him back, please. Beautiful. And that was, so that was 2007 and, um, yeah, it was, Can I ask uh, you, just as you were going through that four and a half year yeah. thing together, you've had the fourth baby, what role did girlfriends play in your world? I had a, we had a, we had a circle of friends and we, we used to, you know, the husbands and the women, we'd all get together on a Friday night and, you know, have some wine and hang out and have dinners together and all this sort of stuff. And, I remember one of my girlfriends saying to me about this guy, she said, he's going to smack, he's going to try and he's going to knock your teeth out, you know, because I've got this smile. And I, the day that I married him in the morning, my two best friends said, you know, you don't have to marry him, don't you? And, you know, I was 24. I just bought this dress. I was like, well, I'm here now. You know, it was that kind of, there was no processing going on. I had these children. I was trying to do the best I could. Um, so my friends were also young women like me. Yeah. And, but yeah. but they knew, you know, my girlfriends. I mean, he cut all my hair off once, and my best friend came around the day the the day the morning after he'd cut my hair off, and I had long long blonde hair, and she just was shocked. And I tried to make it, you know, not. It's not a big deal. You were minimising his ugly behaviour. Minimising it and, um, you know, and then she pulled back. So that's basically, that's the stuff that went on because 
I guess for people it's too painful, isn't it, when they they see stuff. And he it was is, a very... it's also, let's let's be a little bit forgiving of the girlfriends in your sphere at the time mm. because they knew, well, maybe they didn't, maybe they knew intuitively, maybe they had no idea. But the truth is nobody could have made you leave until you were ready to leave. That yeah. had to be your decision. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got people saying this is not working for you, this is a problem, or he's going to pass your teeth or cut your hair, whatever. No, nothing's going to happen until you're ready to make that happen. And it actually hurts the other person to watch to you watch. not take the action that they know you need to take yeah. for yourself. There's this lovely um, expression that I've heard through, it's kind of through the AA, not not that I have been involved in AA, but I think this is the root of the expression, which is don't rob somebody else of their rock bottom. Yeah. Because when when people are at their absolute rock bottom it's when they learn the most it's when they take the action that's required to get themselves out of their situation now people like me nurturers and you know people who care so deeply I think one of the mistakes we often make is trying to help people before they get to the rock bottom oh don't go there I don't want you to be in pain yeah yeah exactly let me help you up let me help you up but actually sometimes the best Action is almost inaction and saying, when you're ready, I'm in the wings. I'm waiting for you. I've got the car running. Like you just say the word, but not putting pressure on people until they're ready. So maybe giving your girlfriends the benefit of the doubt, maybe there was some of that going on. Yeah, look, I've, I've, my whole life, I've had beautiful friends. I have had absolutely, I, I, you know, I've just attracted gorgeous women, but I have always, I've been young. And so they have been young. And yeah. at the time I was in the first relationship and I wasn't living at home, a lot of my girlfriends were still at home with their mums yes. and dads. And, yeah. and I couldn't tell anybody the violence. They could see sometimes if they came round and eventually I told them, but I never told anybody the truth because I thought I'd lose them. I was ashamed. Absolutely. Their parents wouldn't come, let them come around to see me. So I, my friends, as I've got older and I've told the story, my friends have said, Kelly, you always just had this smile. You know, I, that's what I did. I love, I, I love. So when I have friends, I love them and I don't tell them, you know, just because I didn't want to hurt them. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like we've got so many similarities, Kelly, like, I, as I said, I was in a violent relationship that I don't talk about very often. Yep. And yes, he nearly killed me. And no, I didn't tell anybody about it at the time. You know, it just, this the shame, I think, more than yep. anything else. It, you know, I don't, I don't know if you feel this way, but I don't identify as a victim. No. So it took me a very long time to even acknowledge that it was happening because that, that just didn't fit with how I saw myself. Yeah. Um, so I'm very pleased that you took, you know, so let's talk about the evolution then. So getting yes. to 25, the books that you picked up that fundamentally yes. changed the way you were seeing the world and the growth journey that began at, yep. at 25. Tell me more about that. What were these magical books? Like what was um, you to? You would, you would have heard of The Road Less Travelled. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I cannot tell you what 
what it was the the shift and then there was one that was called the celestial prophecy which is all about energy and I am definitely an energy worker I have since I was a very small child I have felt energy I my job is all about um loving energy so I'm a performer and I radiate joy and love through my character that I've created and wrote shows and I DJ and MC and it's all about big energy fabulous energy right I picked up or I I I just realized who I was I think I read these books and I looked at this man and I thought you are racist you are sexist you are prejudiced you are a hater of everybody I am the opposite of you and he was minimizing your energy all the time in his uh, uh, he's a narcissist so he was sucking my energy that was you know what he did you know he just constantly just turned the tables and it was just yeah it was horrendous so I had to go probably the last chunk of time with him was absolute hell there was alcohol involved I am not ashamed to say I've been in AA I've been sober a long time since 28 Mm -hmm. so that's been part of my journey um I so I left him and within six months I was sober And the part of my story, which is probably one of the biggest parts that, you know, this is the first time I'm sharing this stuff out loud on on to anybody apart from my circle. Thank you. Is that when I was in these meetings and I was in a room with some people that I'd never met. I had an experience which I know I'd had many times before, but nobody had ever seen it. And so I have been diagnosed with dissociative disorder. So what happens when I get flooded with fear, I black out. I cannot see, I cannot hear, I cannot speak. So my brain completely shuts down, but I look like I'm awake. And so in this meeting on this particular day, I think I was only three weeks into going to AA and there was a lot of men in the room and the shutdown happened and there was a guy in the meetings who was a sober alcoholic and he was a psychologist and a trained, a very trained specialist. Yeah. He recognised straight away what was happening to me. That's and incredible. he took me to one side and he shuffled me outside and as I came to, he said to me, Kelly, look, you've, having a major trauma response you need to be somewhere where you can get some help I don't know what's happened but and so I he sent me down the route of um counselors and therapists and I'd been having that experience the whole way through that marriage and every time I had shut down he had just picked on me more not physically but verbally and so I just I was in these blackouts a lot Wow. And that, that is from my childhood. So that's from the childhood stuff yeah. and from the stuff in my teens, which was very, very dark. And so that really was the beginning of my journey. So that was in 2008. I've done a lot of work. I've worked with a lot of people. I've do you done... feel incredibly lucky? This is an unusual question. Well, how do you feel about having that person identify what was going on for you three weeks in that space I'm so grateful yeah because I I would have become a recluse I would have become agoraphobic because the journey that I've had to go on I mean look at me I've moved countries with four children yeah 
I've started two businesses that are incredibly successful. I'm very, very visible, right? Yes. So there's, there's also something yeah, look, like that you couldn't. This is challenging. This yeah. is. This is I when I go out and perform, I wear my mask. I have my role. I am DJ, MC Kelly Joy, or I'm my my character that I've created, Jelly Kelly. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'm just constantly I project love. And that love has come from my trauma. And I've mm-hmm. turned it into, I've turned that stuff into the absolute opposite and I push it out and I want everybody to feel my Beautiful. love. Um, it's But being me and going out there is very, very difficult. And I'm really trying to do it in yeah. the networking and doing things like this, you know, and I would, I definitely would like, I will share my story more one day and because I really want to help people that this dissociative stuff, if you have had trauma and you don't, you are experiencing it because people call it anxiety. Obviously, look, mine's very, very extreme. Yes. I, I haven't had that blackout stuff for quite a long time. It's right. only happened at one of one party, and that was a few years ago, and that's because I'd had a conversation the morning before I left, and a certain word had come up in that conversation, which was rape. And my mind must have took that with me and I blacked out as I'm doing my lines. But luckily, I come to, nobody knew. So, yeah, it's pretty heavy stuff. (laughs) Yeah, extremely. Um, Listen, I want to get to how your story can help others because this is the whole purpose of my podcast is to bring these stories of, like, we all go through a pretty heavy time when we're going through a divorce. Even if it's the most amicable, beautiful, like conscious uncoupling on the planet, they never are. There's always struggles in there. So I want to bring those positive stories forward and say, like, you you can get through this. Me too. Whatever your situation is. So thinking through when you were young, right, you're 25 years old, you've started, you've decided to take some positive action for yourself. You've started to take this journey. Tell me what was that like practically? Like how were you raising your four children? How were you getting through day by day? You're in AA for the first time forever. Definitely want to talk a bit more about getting sober. Um, but tell me just the practicalities of those early days and, and trying okay. to function. So yeah. I had no money. <laughs> you know, I was a young mom. Life was financially incredibly difficult. I rode around on a push bike, yeah. you know. I mean, we're quite lucky in the UK. Our public transport system's amazing. He took the car. I rode around on a bike. For me, my life was about my children. I had four little kids. I've always been into fitness, and I believe that, you know, looking after your body goes hand in hand with looking after your mind. I've been a creative my whole life as well, so I've always painted, made things, and I've always had a friendship circle. So I really value women. You know, I've not been really a woman that has lots of male friends. That's not been my jam. Got nothing against guys. I've been through a lot, but they are not all the same. That's one (laughs) thing I know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. You need a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, I obviously had to change my life completely. So when I stopped drinking, I stopped drinking and I made new friends and yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is. I was just, I was a very devoted mother. 
I had four kids. You kind of got to be, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. There's no part part timing that one. No, you get no to half ass that. Yeah, Especially and you weren't handing them over either, were you? There was no co-parenting um, in that situation. My my youngest son, yes. So my youngest son, who I had with my oh, yeah. uh, second, my I didn't marry the first partner. I married my um, the first guy. A second, oh, God, very confusing. Yeah, yeah. The father of your fourth child. Yes, yep. the father of my fourth child. And he was mostly amicable. In the beginning, he would be ridiculous. But in the end, it was it was okay, mainly because his mother was very involved and she did she did most of the stuff between us. Okay, great. And you trusted handing over your son yeah, to him? to her I did, yeah. And to him, look, very violent towards me, but not towards my son. Believe you me, now I have concerns, not for physical violence, but I know that I lived with that man for four and a half years and a lot of his just his behaviours, they're like maybe banging the table because the cup's there instead of there. You know, the the, the outburst. Easily triggered stuff, yeah. My son's my son's around that. Yeah. So, you know, my son always says, oh, everything's fine and this sort of stuff, but I don't think my son would know. Yeah. He wouldn't have the words to articulate it because I didn't, didn't. No, of course. Until, you know, later on in life. Let me ask you about your sober experience because this is something that bef- uh, it's a, a pattern that emerges, right? I noticed that a lot of women are drinking at the end of their marriage and often choose to take a break from booze once they've decided to end their relationship. It's almost like in the lead up to making that decision, they're numbing themselves with the wine or the alcohol or the reason to get out of the house and see girlfriends. The so alcohol is a big part of their lives before they make yep. the choice. And then I've really seen this quite a lot that after they make the choice, they get sober pretty quickly. Would you have a hypothesis on why that might be? Just from your personal experience or dealing with divorce and dealing with difficult men is just you know and trying to be a mum and trying to do it all it's it's hard work isn't it I look I don't I don't really know I I know for me I'm a person who once I start I can't stop and it's nothing to do with willpower I have the willpower of an ox I'm one of the strongest people I know so it's really nothing to do with willpower um I don't go to AA anymore, I'll be honest with you, because for me, I've watched a lot of the science stuff and I truly believe it's all about the receptors in the brain and that's what causes the addiction. So, you know, the spiritual process part of AA, I love. Um, I just, if anybody thinks, feels that their drinking's getting out of hand, you go to AA. It will help you change your life, even if you don't stay there. Because if you are, if you have children and you are using alcohol, I can guarantee you will not be emotionally present. Yeah. No matter how much you love them, you will, you're, you know, we're using it to numb ourselves. And exactly. so that was it for me. I, I knew that and I knew I had to be there for my kids. They had been through a lot too. Okay. So that was your choice then to, I need yeah. to. I need to be on here, so I need to give up the booze. Yeah, my hypothesis is that people are numbing themselves through the ugliness of a bad marriage. Yep. And then once that decision has been made to 
end it, they don't need to numb themselves from it anymore. It's okay to experience the world in all of its technicolor, horrific glory, you know, and to be truly. Sometimes it's not that easy to stop for some people, though. No, that's that's, that's the thing. And, you know, I've watched friends fall into the trap of instead of getting a bottle of wine in the evening, you know, they're like, oh, I'm just going to go get a bottle of wine, have a few glasses while I'm cooking dinner, and it leads to two bottles of wine. And and then, you're, you know, you're in these cycles and these habits. So No, for sure. I think a lot of people need support, even if it's just a group of you doing it together, even if it's an alcohol coach you know the alcohol-free coaching or, yep. or if it's something as formal as an AA absolutely yep. it's, it's tough it's not always as simple as from today I'm not going to do that anymore no it's Definitely. a whole pattern to revisit um okay let's come to the fact that you live in Australia yeah right? and there's a whole history that's not here that we've we've spoken about how did you yes. get from 25 and opening up your mind to being a better version of yourself and, yep. that, and that journey that you started to being where you are today okay so I at 28 I got sober and I Basically, the chap that I had dated in between the two fathers of my children, I dated this guy on and off for a couple of years. He was a lovely guy and he went off to Australia. He he contacted me. I wasn't on Facebook or anything like that, but one of my best friends, she said, oh, he's, he's been messaging me trying to get your number. And I said, what, even though he's in Australia? <laughs> he said, yeah. So I said, oh, I'll give him my number, whatever. Anyway, he calls me and he says, Kelly, I am coming back to see my family. I'd love to catch up. And I said, yeah, yeah, cool. Let's hang out. So he came over um, this was in 2009, July. We spent three weeks together. We did stuff with the kids. We had a good time. We'd known each other a very, very long time yeah, at this yeah. point, a long, long time. Um, and then he went back to Australia and I thought nothing of it. And then he starts calling me all the time. And I had to say to him, I won't say his name, but I'll call him Dave. I said, look, Dave, it's really great that you're calling me and telling me all about snowboarding and traveling here and going there and doing this. But I'm actually at uni trying to study nursing and I've got four kids and I'm really struggling. Look, it was great hanging out, but have a nice life. You know, liked him, but I I didn't really want to hear it. I was, my kids were quite, we were going through a lot because of what they'd been through. It was all starting to come to the surface. So we were in, I was doing family therapy with my kids and stuff at this point. And so I thought that was that. And then he rings me again and he says, Kelly, I've been in love with you my entire life. I was devastated when I left you. But then when I found out you'd gone and got married a few months after I'd left, I was like, whoa. He said, do you want to get married and come and live in Australia? And I said, have you been drinking? And he said, said, I've had one or two. I said, call me tomorrow and have none and ask me again. And I put the phone down and I, I looked at my eldest son who probably was only 11 or you know it wasn't particularly that old I I can't remember I said do you want to live in Australia and of course my kids are like yay (laughs) anyway I really didn't you know believe it would happen at that point I had really no inkling of anything and of course Dave called me and we connected and I had a huge soft spot for this guy he was a good guy um and I said okay let's go for it wow 
It took me three and a half years to get here. I went through a massive court battle. I went to court, I can't remember if it was 12 or 15 times, but it was a huge amount of times. It was very, very difficult. And my ex-husband used my honesty against me. Obviously, look, I've sat here and I'm saying, hey, I'm what you call a sober alcoholic. I don't drink. Um, And a lot of people hear the word alcoholic and they think of this awful person under a bridge somewhere, you know, drinking cider. Not true. Um, So my husband really said they'll never let you use, my ex-husband said they'll never let you leave the country. That's what he said to me. Because you're an alcoholic. Oh, yeah, yeah, because you've got no family, you've got no support. And luckily, because I am very strong and resilient I didn't believe him I thought you know what this is going to be the fight of my life yes but I'm going to go get my big girl knickers on and I did did you Um, have lawyers or did you yes we were no we were I was very fortunate in the UK I got legal aid okay Um, actually at the end of my case the law changed and it was all a whole different ball game I would not I mean, I what I did at that point, I had so much paperwork. We had to prove so much and jump through so many hoops that I dedicated a very small room in my house to paperwork because I'm yeah. an incredibly organized ADHD person. And I had piles and piles and piles all dated and in order. And that's how I did what I did. Yeah, um, me too. I did all of that and was uh, representing myself. It was a lot. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mine wasn't even mine wasn't even to move countries, although I was in another country. Mine was just to get through goddamn divorce. It was yes. a lot. Yeah. It was it's a lot. It's a lot. So you went to court, you put had the battle of your life to be yes. able to leave. Um we don't need to talk about the legality of it because as you say, yeah. things change and everybody's situation is completely different. Just because it yeah. worked for you doesn't mean it will for somebody else and vice versa. Um, but you went through all of that. You get to pack your bags. You move to Dave. I ran away in yeah. in the night because obviously the family were doing all sorts of things, trying to get me arrested. And, you know, there's yeah. all this weird stuff going yeah. on. The, des- the, th- the things desperate people do to try and ruin Amazing. something for you. So me and the children just left um, as soon as we got the go ahead. And we got, got to Australia. And look, I would love to tell you that it was happy ever after with Dave, but it wasn't. and unfortunately as much as I knew that man for a very very long time I knew him from in my youth again not compatible a different incompatibility but this time I'm happy to hear it was a different kind you didn't need any more violence and alcoholic trauma no he wasn't violent but he he just didn't have what it took. You know, there's a saying that we use and it's it's um he didn't have what it takes to cut the mustard. He yeah. did not have what it, he he loved the idea of me and four children, but look, four children are four children. That's right. Whether and they're yours or somebody else's, it's a lot. They and- did things like put TVs in all of their rooms and me and my children can have 10 TVs in a house, but we will all sit on the settee next to each other watching one TV because we're a little unit. And unfortunately, he just couldn't cope with that. And there was a series of events. 
And I made a decision which I will probably regret for the rest of my life. And it was at this point, he'd gone off to work in the mines. I was on my own with four kids. He'd also lied about some income and money. And I'd said to him, if I come, I will work part time. I cannot work full time. I pick my kids up from school. I take my kids to school. Johnny down the road comes round for dinner once a week and my kids go swimming. I do. I'm a mum who I just like. Yeah, yeah, I'm very involved. And that wasn't the case. And I found myself with many jobs. The kids were not coping without me. And it, it just started to fall apart. And I made a decision in a, had I did not talk to anybody. Basically, he, we weren't getting on. Things were really messy. And I let my youngest son go back to my ex-mother-in-law. Right. It was very, it was meant to be very short term. I thought I'll have a break because he was seven. So he was suffering. Yeah. The other three children were old enough to get themselves to school. And um, yeah, I made that decision pretty much overnight with only me, myself and I to talk to. Yeah. And it I was like. That must have been hard. Yeah, it was. I don't think, well, I don't think I was coping. I, I was in a trauma response. Oh. Yeah. And I phoned my ex-mother-in-law and it was like she was jumping on a bus. It was like she was jumping on the number 42 bus from one estate to another. And she was like, yeah, 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 I'll be there next week. And she came and she picked him up and my little baby went. He was seven. And within a week, I could not stop crying. I've never cried so much in my life. I was crying in my sleep. I was crying. I can only just talk about it now. It took me years to even talk about this stuff. Um, I cried and cried and cried and cried. I cried so much that he said, you pull yourself together or I'm sending you all back. And then I was in trauma response. So... Basically, it all fell completely apart and I left him. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a year of absolute hell working for jobs, trying to pay for visas. I gained the right to stay here. You know, I paid for everything I got me and my children settled. It was terrible. (laughs) You know, I was homeless at one point. It was very, very challenging. Um. I got us settled and unfortunately six months after getting settled, my eldest son became very ill and he has been in hospital for around eight years. He has got treatment resistant schizophrenia, which is what the father of my older three children had. So that is my journey. (laughs) That's a lot. Um, I'm just thinking through that year of struggle where you made the decision to leave the relationship you've got three children managing four jobs and I'm sure you're looking back now going that that was intense that was quite insane what a a lot to go through but isn't it incredible that we do and that we can and that you keep going Right. Look at what you've achieved now with these incredible businesses that you've started. You got through all of that. At what point do you get to give yourself a pat on the back or celebrate or just pause and say, oh, my God, I got through that? It's happening now. It's, you know, I'm quite emotional. It's just 
it's just happening now. I, you know, it's been about about three years that I've been able to reconnect with my youngest son that's in the UK because sadly I had planned for it to be short term, but because my eldest son became so unwell, every time I bought a ticket to go to my youngest son, I couldn't leave my oldest son. I became mm-hmm. his full-time carer. I cared for him for around three years and now he's in full-time care. He's in hospital. He's been in hospital since March, last March right. at this point. He's usually in hospital for a year. He comes out for a little bit and then he has to go back again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, look, there's very few words to articulate this stuff. Yeah. The feeling, if I could touch you down and your listeners and your viewers to be a mother whose heart is breaking over here for the loss of a child, but then you're over here with this other boy who was out of my four children. He was my A-star academic son. He was the one that was on his way to being a doctor. He was incredibly bright young man and he has this breakdown and he becomes speak you can't talk or you know he's so unwell and you go okay this boy's okay this boy's healthy over yeah. here yeah and, and he's you, being looked after by people oh, he's, he's he is my he's spent most of his time with my mother-in-law mm-hmm. and he's lived with my ex-husband unfortunately for the last couple of years mm-hmm. so he's a young man and he's living in with my ex-husband who is remarried and they have a child together and and it's funny because i know he's a narcissist i know he would be diagnosed with a personality disorder because I've been told by my ex-mother-in-law that that's stuff that happened in between but the lady that he's with now she has money she has a great job and so I feel there would be a dynamic shift maybe and that's their stuff yeah yeah what I'm trying to say is it's not as I don't know do I because I'm not in the house but I'm hoping it's not as bad as it was when we were together. Yeah, I think partially uh, you need to trust that you've made the decision based on the information you had at the time, right? You you made this decision for your son, giving him the best opportunity. I was he in survival mode. He was he suffering the he best for the time. Yeah, you move a seven-year-old to the other side of the world, and then you're not there to pick him up from school. Yeah. And, and you said you've started a relation, started building that relationship back up with him. Yes. So we have started to bond again over the last three yeah. years. And it is incredible because this boy is a spitting image of me. All of my friends that listen in on the conversations and my husband, they're like, Kelly's just like you. Oh and I, I see my son as really quite soft. And I'm like, but I'm not soft. And they're like, yeah, you are. That's beautiful. He's beautiful. And he's coming soon. He's coming in July because he said his dad cannot control him. As soon as he's 18, his dad can't tell him what to do and he can't control him. And he gets to choose to come. Yeah, so he's coming. So he was actually meant to come um three years ago, but COVID happened. Yes. We had it all planned. Heart must have just broken. Fell apart. I just was like, what? No, so we had it all planned. We had the flights planned. Everything was set. You know, I'd I'd managed to talk to his nan, who was he was living with her, and it was all happening. And I was even going to pay for her to come if they said no. You know, I was like, you can come too. But yeah, it was all going ahead, and then COVID happened, and so coming in July. So that's some good news. Yes, but I also heard some other great news in there. 
Do you want to tell us about your husband? Yes. So I have kissed a couple of toads, as you know. <laughs> it sounds like it. I, I think we've heard about the toads now, yeah. And wow. I, Glenn and I met um, around eight years ago. And so one of the things I did is I started a cleaning business and that's that's how we met. We met through a hairdresser. We were both at this ha- lady's house and he was getting his hair done and I was waiting to get my hair done and we started talking. And He was like, I need a cleaner to help me revamp my shop. I wasn't a, a normal cleaner. I did, I helped hoarders and I went into shops and redecorated and organized all that sort of stuff. So I helped as well. Yeah. Yeah. And we grew this friendship and he helped me move house. And then he, the flash git, he said, Can I take you to Rottnest Island on my boat? And I was like, Go on then. You know, <laughs> I'll allow it. Oh, yeah. go on then. Let's go. And it just was incredible because. I don't know if you've met anyone or you're in a relationship and but for us we think the same things congratulations and we finish each other's sentences we believe we've met in a past life well I wanted to ask you about that because I did see that on your website saying that you've, you've met this wonderful man that you've known each other in past lives so what gives you that impression just how beautifully you connect together or is there a little bit more to that yeah, look, there's a few things that don't that don't matter to us. But in the beginning, I suppose I was a bit like like there's a there's a little bit of an age gap between us. You know, my exes were all my age. I dated guys that I'd known at school and that kind of thing. And and there's a there's an age difference between us. But so I if I thought about that logically, I would have thought, how do we like the same music? Yeah. How do we like this? How is that possible? But yeah. you know. I, when I started my business, I was, we had brought a house together and we were living together. I become a full-time carer for my son. And he, he was like, look, you just worry about Tyler. Now what man says that a year after you've met him? Yeah. You know, so I'm looking after my eldest son. I've got this cleaning business. And I said to him, look, I have this idea, um, I think I meant to be a clown called Jelly Kelly. And he just looked at me and he said, I don't know what that is, but that's you. Do it. Wow. I spent a year writing my first show, which is called Jelly Kelly and the Muffins. And it's all about self-love for children. It's about being strong, brave and kind. And so the first time I did the very first party. So the business is called Perth Party Time. We didn't call the business that. The first time we go we start doing the shows he's my roadie and I said to him this one day I said do you like it you having fun and he said Kelly this is amazing and I said you are Mr Glenny Bean because he's called Glenn and this man is an introvert I'm an extrovert he's an introvert I'm ADHD he keeps everything level yeah And now we run for five and a half years this incredibly successful entertainment business. He's now a DJ. I'm the MC. He's now the magician in one of our stage shows, and I'm the naughty clown who pie-faces him at the end. Um, We travel around with our show. We are booked out every weekend. It's incredible. This is phenomenal. I just want to remind our listeners 
but you're only 42 years old. You have gone through all of these experiences, including building an incredibly successful business and marrying this wonderful man, Glenn. Like Very nice. He's a lovely all of man. these, you know, elements where it was awful for you. You've come out the other end, if you like. You're, you're living this gorgeous life now. Who could have predicted that? I know. If you... If you check out who we are and what we do we also live in a fairy tale house called jelly bean manor is that's also a business now it's a photo shoot location and why i mention that at this point is because this man has let me paint colors everywhere i've painted my bedroom ceiling coral it's this brilliant, color. Brilliant, brilliant. The walls are green, and, and you would think, "Ooh, is that good?" But go and have a little look. So it's a, yeah. it's, it's a fairy tale magical house, and we're filming our kids YouTube show, Jelly Kelly TV here. So the business, all of it, is going from strength to strength. I live a fairy tale life. I am a, a real life character, and I have a message of never give up and always try your hardest. And that's what I tell children, and it's. Really, the truth for me is love makes the world go round. Kelly Joy, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so powerful. I'm really grateful that you've come on and shared this. I feel like we've scratched the surface. I'm going to come back and ask you more questions on like, we'll get on the socials. Maybe we'll do a live together and people can ask you too, if you're open to that. Um, I'm going to link to all of the pieces in the podcast notes. So you can find Kelly Joy and the business Perth Party Time and uh, have a look at Jelly Bean Manor. Jelly Bean Manor, yeah. I love it. That's so good. Kelly, are there any, you've, you've just kind of wrapped up with these beautiful sayings about, you know, never give up and always do your best. Try your hardest. Try your hardest. Is there any other advice that you would give to anybody, like our listeners who are going through divorce at the moment and thinking, oh, my God, will it ever end? It will. It will end. I have have met people who have gone through big, long divorces and, you know, that's, that's tragic because while they're going through it, obviously their children are on the journey too and, and the whole family. It's, you know, um, but, for me, things do change. You know, change is inevitable. It's the only thing that we know 100% for sure that change is coming. That's right. Kelly Joy, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something of value out of this episode. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright.com. I look forward to connecting with you there.